This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today... So, um, that um, incident happened in Minnesota. You saw at the end, like, the Minnesota Correctional Facility of Stillwater, um... And I know that guy, he's my Facebook friend, O'Shea, and I know the, the lady. And if you ever get a chance to hear their story, just, just look it up. We had a different video, but for some reason it didn't play this morning. But, but she actually, they've reconciled. They actually live right beside each other. She actually found him a place to live after he got out of prison after 17 years. She's actually now his surrogate mother today. They go out and they, they speak around the country about forgiveness, like, that's what, they, that's what they talk about. And that's something that is paramount for us as believers. Now, understand I prepared this message two and a half years ago. But this is not one you get giggles by because why? Because everybody's dealing with some type of hurt. We all are. Resentment. Bitterness. You know, when we talk about forgiveness, this is actually probably the most important topic of of. For Christians. The Bible says explicitly, if you don't forgive, you will not what? You will not be forgiven. If you do not forgive, you will what? You'll not be forgiven. It's, it's clear. Go to Matthew chapter 18, talks about the judge and the, and, the, and the different servants. And he said, you will suffer until you pay back what you owe. And 
the amount the individual servant had to pay back was, was more than he could ever pay back in a thousand lifetimes. Like, unforgiveness for a Christian is, is like, it's like cancer. It's the most destructive force, in my opinion, our, our walk and our relationships. You, you talk to several people who are familiar with unforgiveness and you'll see how much it destroys our physical bodies. Unforgiveness is destructive. It literally kills our bodies. I've seen people, and I don't know your thought about, about healing, but I've seen people in the altar being prayed for, for, for healing. And I've seen pastors or leaders say, you know what, there's just some reason you're not able to receive this healing. And they would always ask this question, are you harboring unforgiveness? And then when that person responds affirmatively, yes, and the floodgates open, healing often follows. Unforgiveness is destructive. It destroys relationships, it destroys you, and it hinders God's purpose for your life. Oftentimes, the person who is hurting you is the very person who God has sent you to help. But because you harbor unforgiveness, you are not useful to God for that person. You, you eliminate yourself from being able to minister to being able to support that person who, if you would just forgive, you would be able to, to touch their heart. But because you've been hurt, you, you hold on to it. We, in our minds, justifiably say, I've been hurt, so I'm going to hold this against you because that's my right. And, and we destroy ourselves. We're not hurting them. <laughs> How many know that when we... When we are bitter towards somebody else, we're not hurting them at all. We're not taking it out on them. We're only hurting ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge to, to forgive, but it's a command, and we need God's grace to do it. I know people who have been hurt tremendously, like trauma-filled situations, Situations that I pray I never go through or anybody I know. But there are a lot of people I know who've gone through these situations that God has asked them to forgive. And a lot of them say, well, how could he ask you? And, and that's the point of the story. Because God has forgiven us so much. I don't understand the, the truth of that point. Jesus Christ on the cross, he, he said, he said, he said, Father, Forgive them, for, for they know not what they're doing. And I know he wasn't just speaking about the, the Roman individuals who, were, who had put him on the cross or the Jewish people who had, who had put him on the cross. I know he was speaking to all humanity. Lord, forgive them. And the, the one human being who had the right not to forgive, it was Jesus. But he himself still forgave. And because he forgave, God used him to save the world. Who is it that you know in your life who you're wrestling with unforgiveness with? And if you are, let it go. Oftentimes, you, when you really uh, engage with a mature Christian, you know, a lot of times they'll hurt you and they're like, oh, they're, they're going to forgive and then they know you're going to struggle, but, but, but they'll just keep going on because they haven't... This assumption, oh, they're going to forgive because they're a Christian too. And even though we, we like to think we're all mature, we still have problems forgiving. But truthfully, that's what we expect. 
as Christians from our brothers and sisters, when we sin against somebody, we expect quickly that we're forgiven, do we not? Regardless of how bad sometimes our sins are against other people. And that's the challenge. When, when people hurt us, how quickly can we forgive? Now, a lot of people try to tie amendments onto that, right? Well, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. I'll forgive you, but I'll never trust you again. Like we say all these things, and I look in the scriptures for all those different, you know, antidotes and, and, and amendments and add-ons, but I, I just don't see it. Like if Jesus had that mentality, he would have never went to the cross. He could have just probably said, I ain't going to the cross for them. The, the Bible even says he didn't trust himself with people because he knew what was in humans' hearts. But he still made himself vulnerable on Palm Sunday. He knew as he was going down the road, the Villa de la Rosa, as he was going down that road, he knew these people in less than a week's time who were singing his praises, who were saying he's the king, who were saying Hosanna, he knew these people would say, crucify him. The very same people. But this, our king, showed us what real strength is. It's the ability to forgive. Because he forgave us. Do you deserve to be hurt? That, that's a question I will not answer and can't answer. I'll just say God ask us to forgive if we are hurt. And you will be hurt. People will let you down. Biblically, you know, Christians will hurt you. Biblically, you know, it's, it's a sin to complain, to talk negatively about your brothers and sisters in Christ, to backbite. Like, those are sins. But it'll happen. Why? Because we're human. Because we're all broken. And when you find out that said Christian was talking negatively about you, what should be your response? <laughs> Forgive. Because he forgave us a debt we could not pay. That's what healthy living is. That's abundant living. That's living like God. Because as soon as you decide to hold on to whatever pain is there, what will happen is you will change. Your heart, hard, your heart will become hardened. And then you won't be able to hear from God or anyone else. And then you say, I'm alone because you've closed yourself off. You're no longer intimate and no one can be close to you. And your life starts to spiral. Now, you may be successful in your job. You may be good at your job. You may be doing all these different things well. But because you say, I'm never going to get hurt that way again, you've shut yourself off from any intimate relationship with anybody else. And now your heart is hardening. And you're unable to surrender to God, to obey Him, to walk in fellowship, arm in arm, intimately with anybody else. Forgiveness is paramount. Without it, you won't be able to move on to the next round of life in Christ. That was good. <laughs> Let's jump in. All right. Now... And this is a guy I recommend a thousand times over. We, we do have, we have tons of people out sick today. I guess the, when the cold came back, <laughs> the people got sick. So pray for everybody that's sick. Pray, and I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but definitely pray for Katrina's mom who needs your prayers 
right now, uh, legitimately. And I could name other people, but uh, keep Sean and Tammy serious. That's all I'm going to say um, about people who are out sick. But I know there's a lot of people out sick right now. So just if they come to your mind, pray for them, uh, hold them up, take them to the Lord in prayer. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is a guy who I'd recommend a thousand times over. Google him, look him up, buy any book he's ever written. Probably one of the best Christian thinkers of all time. Now, the reason why I like him because he, he was, God raised him up during the time of modernism or like what we call the enlightenment that would turn into modernism. But regardless, he's an intellectual Christian thinker who thought through the natural implications of being a Christian on life. And, and he did a lot of observational learning, particularly looking at children and, and came to conclusions that are very appropriate for even us today. So one of his quotes I like, he says, um, it was his home now. But it could not be his home till he had gone from it and returned to it. Now he, he was a prodigal son. And, and we're, this week we're still on the prodigal son. And next week we'll go to a different, which will be Resurrection Sunday, a different scripture. But, but here we're coming to the conclusion of the, the prodigal son uh, sermon series, in, the, in, in a sense, inside of a Resurrection Month. Because there's an important point I wanted to, to make regarding this last part of this, uh, 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 this parable, this analogy. Um, this is to me always kind of, it, 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 it highlights the point. Sometimes you, you don't know what you have until it's what? You don't know what you have until it's gone. Sometimes you don't know how good you got it until it's gone. And sadly, that's how human nature is. It's almost like we can guarantee it. Like when you, when you, when you talk about your kids, you're trying to be there for your kids, and they're, they just want to do it their own way, and then, then they get off on their own, and they do it their own way, and they're like, oh my gosh, I had a great at home. Or look at couples, right? They're, they're married, and then the relationship falls apart, dissolves, and then they try to enter a new relationship, and they start realizing how good they had it in that, in that previous relationship. We, sometimes we struggle to understand where we are in the moment. We take it for granted. And we, we, we look for, for greener astroturf than the one we have. Right? Do we even use grass anymore? I don't know. <laughs> mulch, mulch, mulch is outside. What is that? Turf, whatever, sod. We look for something other than what we have. Now, what sin is that? Covetousness. That is the sin that destroys most of us. We covet. So, say you're going to have an affair. I'm just trying to make the analogy, I'm going to have an affair, you already are coveting before you do the action. You're, you're looking beyond your marriage. You're like, man, if I had that, or if I was then, I'd be happy. So you're coveting in your heart. And then the adultery happens. And at this church, we try to fight the heart part. We, we don't wait till you're out there and say, hey, how are we going to get you some counseling? To, to, no, I, I'm going to try to fight for you now. And say, watch your heart now. If you know in your mind, your strain, your thoughts, if your fantasies are being used to cope with reality, then you need to begin to wrestle with those thoughts. You need to eliminate the sin of covetousness from your life. Appreciate what you have while you have it. Because all we have outside of what we have in Christ will one day be gone for eternity. We, we, we start everything over in eternity. Heaven is coming. That's a great thing. But, but, but these relationships, as they're now constituted presently, won't be the same when we're in heaven. We will be brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. 
regardless of how fine my wife is now, in heaven, she's going to be my sister. And I'm like, rawr, rawr. right, like she's my sister. My, my sons, Lord willing, they're saved and follow Jesus. They're, they're, my, they're not my children. They're, they're my brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, in Christ. And I can't tell them, what to go clean your room. They're like, who are you talking to? <laughs> You're not my dad. You're my brother. You go clean. They were wrestling in heaven. And he's like, he's like bass, the bass says, please, go, go in the corner. <laughs> All right. I love this scripture. All right. Here we go. So I'm a, more of a Bible preaching pastor. If you're a visitor. So we're going to dig into the text a little bit. Then we'll jump out and make some points and we'll be done for the day. Um, we're really leading up in, to Jesus' to Jesus's, uh, resurrection next week. But, but I thought instead of going to the traditional sermons or s- scriptures that we use for, for resurrection month, we'll, we'll go to the prodigal son, but they're going to jump to heaven next week, to Revelations. I, I, I'm excited about heaven. I love talking about heaven. Um, but today, we're going to talk about uh, the conclusion of this, this prodigal son when he, when he comes back home. Now, last week, I tried to leave a cliffhanger it didn't work as I thought it would, but nevertheless, um, we, we went from, uh, I think it was 11 to verse 16. And remember, the book of Luke is written by Luke the doctor, and he's coming from northern Israel. He's, no, no, Jesus, Jesus is coming, Luke is recording Jesus coming from northern Israel down to Jerusalem. And, and as Jesus is coming down, he sends out the disciples before him to all the cities. And they're going out and telling everybody, the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming. And then Jesus gets there and he says, the kingdom of heaven is here. And people are like, where? Where? But, but what Jesus, he, what he does, he, he prays and heals people. And people are being healed through Jesus. And people are like, whoa, this is amazing. And, and, so, and so what happens is eventually all these people who are broken, the Bible calls them sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Now, we, we speak pejoratively of that group of people, but you have to understand how heinous tax collectors were in the minds of the ordinary people during that day and time. So you have to remember how oppressive at times the Romans were to the Jewish population. Now, you have to think what oppression really looks like. You're talking about at any time your, your, your wife could be assaulted. Your daughters could be assaulted. Your sons could be assaulted. You could be assaulted sexually, physically. And, and, and to think that there is somebody who is your brother and sisters, same nationality, who sees that and yet goes out, starts a franchise to help collect taxes so these people can continually oppress us. So you have to understand, if you're, a, if you're a tax collector, you're helping to pay for those Roman armies, those Roman authority who lived in your area. Because how do they get paid? They got paid through taxes. So as these soldiers were going to different countries, who, who kept them funded were these, like, in a sense, tax collectors. These franchise tax collectors. These people were betrayers. They're, they're basically funding the people who are assaulting our families. Tax collectors, prostitutes. These are, these are, these are people who, who use their bodies in order to make income. Some through worship, some just through just ordinary means of, of living. And then there were people who were deformed. These 
All these groups of people made up the people who heard Jesus' message and began to follow him. And so when Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the Pharisees and Sadducees are like, what, what are you doing? Look at Jesus with these sinners. Aren't these people cursed? They don't know the law. And Jesus is trying to make this analogy. He used three stories to basically say, God is responding. He's rejoicing. You should be rejoicing too. He uses the story about the sheep, the parable about the sheep, the parable about the woman with the, the one coin, and then the story of the prodigal son. In each of the story, the individual who found their property, for lack of a better term, rejoiced. So Jesus is making the point, God is rejoicing because these sinners are coming back to him. Why are you not rejoicing? And everybody understood the point of the analogy. Remember, Jesus did not get killed for healing people. He got killed for what came out of his mouth. The audience understood what Jesus was saying. They were convicted, they were angry, and they said, let's kill him. So all this is known. There's this conversation happening implicitly, but Jesus is trying to be explicit. There are times he says, why are you trying to kill me? Who's trying to kill you? You have a demon, they would say. Jesus knew they were trying to kill him. They knew they were trying to kill him. They were just trying to be slick with it. Here in Luke chapter 15, we're going on to the next part. The young man has, in a sense, is working in the, in the pig fields, and he's not eating the pig's food. This is what I thought was amazing. Look at verse 15 and 16. He's like, man, I would eat the pods the pigs were eating. And it says, but, but no one would give him food. So then, this is the part I love. In 17, it says, but when he came to himself. Now, this is important. So, the Greek, the tense is actually different. The Greek actually says, now, when, while he, when he was coming to himself, he was saying. That's what it says in the Greek. So simultaneously, as he's waking up to a situation, he's somewhere in the midst of his conversation he has to himself, says this. He's out in the pig field. He's like, man, what am I doing? I'm out here. And he's starting to say this to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. So remember when I tried to make the point last week that this prodigal son just wasn't out there with prostitutes. He wasn't out there with his character just being destroyed. He wasn't that type of person. He was a Jewish individual, but he was trying to survive. But he was hungry. He wanted to eat the pig's food, but he wasn't. Or it would say here he wasn't dying from hunger. This man is still moral. But he has an epiphany while he's in the pig field. He's like, my dad's people have it better than me. Now, this is the part we have to realize. Coming to yourself is a key principle in our faith. I call it introspective thinking, doing an assessment. I once worked at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And if you've ever talked to anybody who, who went there, participated, this, this internal self-check is part of the process. How are you doing? And I'll, I would say this in my walk, how are my motivations? Why are you doing what you're doing? When you answer that question, you'll realize, are you on or are you off? Why am I sitting by the people I'm sitting by? Why do I show up at the time I show up? 
Why am I participating in things I'm participating in? Why am I doing the things I am doing? When you begin to do this self-assessment, you'll begin to see whether you are walking with God or not. Here, his self-assessment was him coming to himself and he began to question like, wait a minute, I am off. Coming to yourself really means how are you in relation to God's will for your life? Because you could be out there in the world going crazy and just having a revelation to yourself like, wait, I shouldn't be living this way. But if you don't get right with God, you're still off. But coming to yourself means what? How am I in relation to God's will for my life? Am I centered? Am I aligned with God's will? This guy's having that conversation, and he realizes something about his father. His father's a good man. His father even takes care of his servants. His father is such a good man that he even focuses on making sure his servants are provided for. In abundance. He's like, man, I'm going to go back to my dad. Think about it. He has just insulted his dad. Said, man, dad, I wish you were dead. I can take my money. But he still recognizes his dad's good enough to even consider going back to. That's how good he thought his dad was. Now, this is the part I like about the scripture. Because the Jewish people at this time knew God was good. How do you know that? Go back in the Bible. Remember Jonah. Remember why Jonah ran away from Nineveh? Remember why? Because Jonah knew God is merciful. He's slow to anger. And if God sends me to Nineveh, Nineveh is going to what? Repent. And God's going to forgive Nineveh. And I don't want God to forgive Nineveh. I want God to punish Nineveh. So I'm going to go to Tarshish, the opposite side of the planet, to get away from Nineveh because I don't want God's mercy to fall. I want them to be a failure. I want them to be destroyed. So Jonah ran, and God swooped him up, brought him back, and the people turned around and repented. And Jonah was so mad, he said, what? I, I, I want to commit suicide. God, how could you forgive these people? I wanted them to die. The Jewish people knew that God was good, that God was forgiving. And when Jesus is here, they still know that. So think about this story. What's really being communicated is that you know God is good, that is loving. And God, who is good and loving, is rejoicing that all these sinners are coming back to him. Why aren't you? Do you have the heart of Jonah? Are you so bitter? Are you so unforgiving that you're looking down on them? Do you think you're better than them? They are coming into the kingdom because they've humbled themselves. Why can't you come into the kingdom too? So he says in 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And that term sinned against heaven really means sinned against God. Remember Jewish people during that time didn't say God. They tried not to say the word. So basically what he's saying is, I've sinned against God and you. And he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad. Ha has anybody ever prepared a, a message they're going to say to your parents? Okay, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble now. So what am I going to say? I'm, okay, 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 I'm going to say, I'm, yeah. oh, yes, I got it, right? I'm, and know what you're going to say because you, you want to get out of trouble. He, he's doing the same thing. He's prepared his message so that his dad would receive him. 
But the very fact that he thinks his dad would even receive him is amazing. Because this young man in some culture would have been killed based upon how he treated his father. Knowing that he blew his money. Now he's coming home? For what? His dad has half of his, what, one-third less of his inheritance. Like, it's gone. Why is he coming back home? And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Next slide, please. 20. And he arose and came to his father. But, in contrast to that, listen to this. When he was still a great way off. Now, everybody always uses this scripture to highlight the, the mercy of the father. And, and rightly so. But I want you to notice what did not happen in this text. You don't see the son amazed and shocked that the father came running out. If I had done what he did to his dad, if I did that to my dad, and my dad started running toward me, what would I do? I would be running away. <laughs> right? Oh, no! And I'm gone. Like, I'm, I'm running because I think he's going to beat me. But he didn't run away. It, there's no indication in Scripture that he was amazed based upon his father's actions, like based upon his actions to his father. The Scripture didn't even highlight the point. And the son, it didn't say, and the son dropped to his knees and was shocked because of his father's great mercy. None of that's in there. Why not? Because that was understood that God was good and gracious. That's not even part of the point. The point is this, though. It says, his father saw him at compassion and, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, here's the rehearsed line. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His actions had disqualified him for being his son in his mind. Now remember, Jesus is talking about all these sinners that are around him. These prostitutes, these tax collectors. And they're being welcomed back in graciously by the Father. Now we know the, the older son is the one who he's really referencing to the group. The, son, the older son who's like, what are you doing? Why are you forgiving him? Why are you giving him this, this big... Go into the next slide, please. But the Father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now that is shocking right there. That's why they put it in there. The, the hearer of this message is like, what is going on with this guy? He's crazy. That's God. He goes on, and, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Now this is interesting. That word fatted calf harkens back to an to a ancient sacrifice. If you remember your Bible, there was a, there was a fatted animal that was sacrificed. Does anyone remember who, who, who sacrificed? It, it was from two sons. Abel sacrificed a, a what? A fatted sheep. But, but who, who killed Abel? Cain. And, and what Jesus is pulling from is these old stories. He's referenced himself. Just like Cain had ought against Abel, now you have ought against me and the Father. Thanos is the process of death. Necros is a dead body, like necromancer. So what he's saying is, my, for this my son was dead, not dying, 
He was dead. When did his son die? When he ran away from the Father's will and God's will. Not that there was a famine, but he ran from the protection of the Father. And to the Father, he was dead because he wished the Father dead. It was over. Now he's what? Alive again. He was lost. Now the word lost is really interesting. I look up the stuff that is interesting. This word lost, it, it really means destroyed. It's Apollos. Remember in Corinthians, Apollos, which means destroyer. This son was destroyed. But now he's, he's found. He's put back together. And what happened? And they began to be married. You see, what happened is this, this father is highlighted in these texts. He's good, he's great, he's awesome. This was not a mystery to the Jewish people, and truthfully, it's not a mystery to us today. Regardless of how bad life is, you cannot blame God. It's not his fault. That's the story of the entire Bible. If you want to know, sometimes does God speak to you? Yes, but sometimes Satan does too. And you know what he sounds like? Did God really say? He sounds like this. Does God really have your best interest in mind? He kind of sounds like this. Does God really care about you? Or he'll say like this. Is there even a God? When bad things happen, his voice starts getting higher or louder or his pitch begins to resonate. <laughs> I tried everything right there to make it stick. The point is he's talking. But you cannot look in at history past. Blame God for everything that has happened. Sometimes that's human will. Other times that's Satan. But God is good. Honestly, he's innocent in this. This whole matter. He is innocent of this. He's the only innocent party involved. I think the problem is, this is my wife and I had this, this conversation. God is kind of like that really nice boyfriend that nobody likes. But they, the girls really like the bad guy. You know that? Everybody know that story in high school, college? Everybody's attracted to the rough guy. But that good guy, they'll leave him alone. And I'm always like, wow, what's wrong with the good guy? Well, nothing. He's, it's just boring. He's just not attractive. And, and then people are attracted to the bad guy. He's like, why not? Like, what's going on? You try to, and you get older, you try to counsel the, the young ladies to the, to the, or even same thing with guys. You try to tell guys, why, why do you like that girl? Like, like her, she's nice. She's so sweet. And you're like, oh, I'm not really attracted to her. The girl who's nice? The girl who's sweet? Like, what's wrong? That, that's the devil. <laughs> get that out of your brain. That ain't God. That's, that's how God is. He's the nice guy. He's the guy that you look at, you're like, ah, maybe not. I want some excitement. I want some danger. You're like, but he's God. He's good. He's kind. He's loving. He's gentle. Ah, I want somebody to yell at me from time to time. You're like, what is wrong with you? That's sin. That's the fallen nature. That shows how broken we really are. We're not attracted to stuff that we call boring, but we know it's safe. God is that. He's safe. He's a nice guy with the glasses on the back of the class and nobody's talking to. Oh, <laughs> you think I'm playing? The Bible says Jesus was what? Uncomely. Do you know what uncomely means? 
ugly. Let me, let me do this again. Let me move this up one time to emphasize a point. The Bible says Jesus was ugly. I'm not blaspheming. I'm being honest. Jesus was not attractive. The Bible says there was nothing about him that, appealing, that was appealing to us. Jesus is not attractive. You know, Jesus represents the Father. God is like nice. He's kind. He's like, oh, well, okay. Haley, let's go. Hang out, Haley. <laughs> and he's like, nah, no. Maybe I got a girlfriend for you, right? <laughs> I'm joking on Haley. That's how God is. Hello. That's God. But, but Satan, the Bible says he was what? The most attractive. Satan was the most attractive. The most handsome. The most appealing. When people look at Satan, they were like, whoa, their heart skipped me. Oh my gosh, look at that man. I go talk to him, right? That's Satan. Satan is attractive. Satan is the bad boy. People look at him like, oh, I'm going to hang with him. He's exciting. But God, you look at him like, ah, no. God is safe. All right, a couple of points. The nature of God's heart allows him to truly rejoice whenever a wayward child comes to his or her senses or senses and returns back to him. God is the one who rejoices when someone is strained and comes back. Sometimes we say in our hearts, they, they deserve to get everything they deserve. They deserve to be punished. But God doesn't want that punishment to happen. Have you ever been in there when you're, somebody did you wrong? You're like, oh, I can't wait that God just gives it to him. Give him, God. Get him. Get him. You know there's a scripture about that? There's a scripture that says when you act that way, they don't get what they deserve. Do you know that? Like we should not be rooting and cheering when someone is off. When someone does us wrong. We should really be hurt when they're being destroyed and rejoice when God saves them. Next slide. God wants you back in his home. God is a good God. Yes, he's kind. He's like a nerd. But you know what? He's safe, you all. He's not going to take advantage of you. He's going to probably stare at you a little too long, a little awkward. You know, you know, like that person looking at you like, oh my gosh, are they going to look away? Like, that's God. And it's okay. Next slide, please. So turn back to this good God. Don't worry. When you have your resurrected body, everything he does will be okay. Right now, your body is oriented to a frequency that is not this God who's a nerd, who's, who's a, not that attractive. But he's been good to everybody on the planet. He's the only one doing good out here, honestly. And any good you see that comes from him. He's trying to let us know he has our best interest in mind. And if your heart is strained, you could be here in body, but your heart could be a thousand miles away from God. Get that heart right. Get close to him. Surrender to him. Next line. Because you were created for him and him alone. I don't care how gifted, how talented you are. 
I don't care how many accolades you think you deserve or you really do deserve. I don't care how better you've done than your mom and your dad or your cousins. I don't care if you're doing the best of everybody in your family. Like, you belong with him. He may not take you to Rue Chris. He may take you to Mickey D's, but it's okay. Nothing wrong with Mickey D's because he's taking care of you. Next slide. Your true home is where God's heart is. You're wondering where the next step is in your life. Like, where's God's heart? What's God's doing? Whatever he's doing, go find it. Remember, God is waiting to receive you with open arms. He's waiting on you. He's been waiting on this a long time. Matter of fact, he's going to rejoice. This was interesting, like he's in eternity, right? So like this is probably a moment, you know, you know, like my son sometimes watch the same scene over and over and over and over again. And you're like, oh my, please stop. Find something else to watch. Like that's probably like God. You know, like when my, when my kids are little, you see a little balloon, right? They'll let the balloon go up and they're like, oh, let's do it again. And a thousand times you do it, like it's this cannot be exciting anymore. Do it again. I'm like, no, I can't do it again. Like the wonder, the mundane is okay with God. Maybe not with us. God can see the same thing over and over. So imagine on the day you come back to him, if you're not, or the day you did come back to him, he's probably watching that over and over again. Not going to do a call and response just ask a couple of questions that we're done for the day what'd you learn today and if you did learn something what difference does that make in your life now the most important part honestly this is the most important part of every sermon preached what can you do with what you learn if you come here, you don't change course or change direction or, or go further or go faster, then really there's, there's no point. It has to be transformation. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray we heard your voice. Lord, I pray for our church, the overall health, Lord God, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, financial. Help us. But Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that if we've heard your voice today, we'll respond the way you need us to respond for your greater glory. Touch us all. Move through us. Help us to learn to love the things you love, Lord God, and love you, Lord God. Even if we don't find you super exciting, Lord, help us to, to love you the way we know you deserve to be loved. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. And it's-